Hey everyone and welcome back to another video from Aman Talks and Real Supercoach. In today's video, it's a big one, we're going to be talking about the center wing position. So hopefully you all enjoy it. If you do, please do give it a thumbs up. Do please consider subscribing as well to the channel if you haven't already and want to see more content during the pre-season. And let's get straight into it. So quickly just to timestamp the video, it's Saturday the 11th of February just before 7pm so I've just watched the NRL uh, All-Stars Maori vs Indigenous game and obviously a few players, <clears throat> Selwyn Cobo, uh, did quite well. Throwback to my roller coaster that I had with him. So just wanted to quickly timestamp that so you guys know you know, the way I think about certain players, maybe it's a bit more influenced by what I've just seen in the last afternoon. But quickly looking at the center wing position, so we really saw it start to kind of excel, I think in 2022. You know, Joey Miner was the best averaging center wing with 76 points, Ruben Garrick with 71, Val Holmes with 69, really good season from him. And Alex Johnson consistently has been the, one of the best center wings as well over the last two seasons. In fact, you know, being the 20th highest averaging player both in 2021 as well as 2022. In terms of top scoring players, uh, Joey Manu, Alex Johnston, and Val Holmes were all in the top 20 for scoring players. So I think what I'm kind of seeing with the centering position is obviously you know, it is a position that does have upside. You know, we're seeing a few guys average over 70, um, but it's a very volatile position. Obviously, you're not seeing, you know, heaps and heaps of players, I think, averaging very well, nor are you seeing a lot of them actually form in the top 20. And that's probably due to the best center wings in NRL actually being involved in state of origin and things. You know, we look at Brian Toto in 2021, had a magnificent season. Obviously, injury affected in 2022 and he also missed some games through origin as well but i think it still is definitely a position to target you know, a lot of thought will be around squad structure how many guns do we want in the center wing you know how many cheapies do we go in the center wing so lots of stuff to talk about but let's get straight into the player discussion so before taking a deep dive into the actual gun center wing players, I wanted to read out a few questions that I thought were more broad macro strategy type questions compared to say specific player ones. So one question from Ian Johnson on Twitter was, how many guns in the center wing should we run? He currently has Val Holmes and Brian To'o. Space Legend has asked, is Meany one of the safer picks until Paps is back? A goal kicking fullback for a top four team must have a decent floor. Um, you know, HB Pencil has asked, Tupo versus To'o versus Meany. Nathan MC80 has asked, do you think more than than two guns in the center wing is a must this season. But I think there are a few central questions around how many guns should we run with in the center wing position. And, uh, you know, obviously a few specific names called out there in terms of Val Holmes, Nick Meany, Daniel Tupo, Brian Toto as well. So we'll definitely get into all of those players. My general thought is that I want to try to have at least one gun center wing in my opinion. And that would probably be one gun from at least this table or the, the next slide that I'll present, which includes someone like Brian Toto. The reason for that is that you know, center wing is where we do see the most cheapies, you know, because, you know, there are young centers and wingers who are coming through who occupy the spots of players who have left. And a lot of those guys do come in very cheap, you know, around between the 200 to say the 350k mark. The downside with them is that while they can go in cash, obviously, it's premised on them actually being able to score well in Supercoach. And just with the nature of center wing, you know, you're more reliant on attacking stats. A lot of the players that we're relying on, especially the cheapies, are unproven you can see that the scoring is a bit more volatile it's a bit different to say like in the forwards where you may have a cheapie maybe a rookie but he doesn't need to you know someone doesn't need to rely on attacking stats if he's playing through the middle getting 30 minutes making 30 tackles you can kind of predict their points with a bit more certainty it doesn't quite happen in the center wing which is why at the beginning of the season i do like picking you know center wings from you know proven teams so you'll say your top four or your top eight sides or a past former gun who's got maybe a good draw or is maybe undervalued I do think it is worthwhile starting with at least one of those players, if not two, if your squad budget allows for it. And I think obviously a lot of this will come down to 
the nature and you know what cheapies we actually get in center wing but definitely i think at least one i think two is great i currently have two in my current draft but i can't see myself going fully cheap in the center wing i think i do want to have at least one gun and maybe combine that with another mid-ranger and then we'll scatter in a few of the best cheapies hopefully so that's my thoughts i think on the overall strategy of how i'm looking to structure my center wing now turning our attention to the specific players so starting off with uh, joey manu top averaging center wing uh 1752 points last year top scoring center wing as well as averaging he had the highest percentage of games scoring over 100 as well of the guns on this list and actually a bit higher owned than what i thought 13 percent ownership was which was at the time that i pulled these numbers together you know considering you've got to buy it in round four and you know over eight hundred thousand dollars you are paying top top dollar uh, for joey manu and I can see, you know, rounds one and two are obviously very appealing with the Dolphins and then the Warriors. I personally, though, am not really looking at Manu that strongly. For me, I think it's just a question of, I do think he's just going to regress because this was a breakout year for him for Supercoach point of view, but you could also argue NRL-wise. And his numbers are very, very strange as well when you do look at them, you know, looking back at 2022. So if you look at his average scores against top eight sides from last year, it was 80. If you look at his scores against bottom eight sides, it was 72. Now that just looks like the inverse of what you would normally expect. You'd normally expect him to do better against the weaker opposition. The thing that was strange is that a lot of the Roosters games last year against the top eight were during the middle of the season, which is obviously around that state of origin period. So, you know, the best teams do have players in and out of their sides, you know, carrying niggling injuries or they're just getting rested. So his numbers... You know, I wouldn't expect him to be able to, say, score an average of 80 again against top eight sides. You know, he can do, probably do that very easily against the bottom eight sides. I just overall see a slight regression with Joey Manu. You know, I think a lot of us also went very heavy on the Roosters at the beginning of last year, expecting that they would be kind of, you know, get out of the gates real quick. And it just didn't quite happen. Now, I don't think that necessarily will repeat itself, but I think the fact that they've now brought someone like Brandon Smith, so, you know, that's a pretty key part of their spine that they now need to integrate. You know, Joseph Suali'i is kind of developing even more. There are lots of mouths to feed, I think, overall at the Roosters. And at the back end of last season, when Luke Keery started to kind of take a, a greater hand, I think, when the Roosters were coming home really, really strongly, we did see his average start to dip. If I look at the last five weeks of the season, his scores were 48, 52, 58, 85, and 42. So there was definitely a regression in the last few weeks. And I think I personally... I'm happy to go without and I kind of just want to see how it plays out with the Roosters. Um, I think, you know, if you want to go for him, then great. But I just do think there is better value. You know, if you're looking at 800k, you're getting close towards, you know, something I mentioned, I think in the second or forward video, you're, you're getting close to a price tag where you're probably going to have to start thinking about captaining someone, you know, maybe someone like Nathan Cleary, a Tedesco, a, a Nico Hines, Harry Grant. Those are all the kind of players who are above the 800k mark. I just don't see Manu quite being in that category, at least for the beginning of the season. I mean, his stats are incredible. If you look below me, the base stats are great. The guy was just getting tackle breaks for fun. I just don't, I just don't quite have a feeling it's going to happen at the beginning of the season. So I'm personally looking at avoiding Manu, I think, for the start of the year. And I would actually look to someone like Val Holmes. I think, you know, he's more than 60, 70K cheaper than Manu. And I do think that there is upside with someone like Val Holmes. Quickly, I'll touch on Ruben Garrick. Obviously very low owned, 5.9%. We know he is a proven gun. He's proved it over the last two seasons. But there is some chat with Manly that uh, Garrick is actually going to be lining up at center to start the season. There's a bit of a reshuffle in their back line. And I think playing at center probably isn't going to be as good as playing on the wing. You tend to see the wingers in Supercoach do better over the last few seasons. The attacks are a lot more structured around kind of those big sweep plays out to the winger. Don't quite see it happening as much for the centers in terms of Supercoach point scoring. So I think Garrick, while he does still goal kick, is obviously great for him. He's got an early buy in round two. If there is this, if this talk that he is playing at center is true, 
I kind of want to see how that plays out as well. So for me, I wouldn't be spending 740k with Garrick, at least not for the beginning of the season. But Val Holmes, obviously a very big talking point coming into the season. A lot of that is just due to the Cowboys draw. It is utterly ridiculous how good their draw is. They don't play a top four side until round nine, which is when they're versus Sharks. Arguably, Canberra is their toughest match in terms of, you know, last year's ranking in the ladder, and that's in Queensland. And they've got so many games as well at home. Round three against the Warriors, round four against the Titans, uh, round six against the Dolphins. The draw is ridiculous. And I think we saw at the end of last season, Val Holmes really step up from a super coach point of view. Beginning of the season, he was a little bit inconsistent. You know, you can see that in the table there, 50% of his games, he did score over 60. He did show some upside though. 18% of the games, he did score over 100. And he really did score well against the bottom eight teams. So his average against the bottom eight teams last season was 75 compared to 61 against the top eight sides. So obviously when you're looking at a draw, which is really good all the way until round nine, I think there's definitely a good argument to say that Holmes can easily match the 68.9 price tag that he's you know, priced at, if not go maybe 75 plus. You know, his goal kicking, which is really good. If you look at his stats, obviously the base isn't quite as high, but he gets lots of points from scoring, both from goal kicks, also just from scoring tries. Not so much from setting up tries, but that's kind of expected when you're looking at the center wing position. Doesn't really rely on the tackle breaks. For him, it really is getting those big attacking stats like the tries, the line breaks, and the goal kicking. And I think when you look at that draw, if you think that the Cowboys are going to replicate how they performed last season, by all means, I do recommend Val Holmes. He's currently in my squad. I think I really do want to get a piece of that Cowboys draw. And I think get the goal kicker, the proven gun. You know, he did it last year, especially at the back end as well. And you can see a lot of coaches are starting with him as well. 22.6%. So it could actually hurt if he starts out really strongly and you don't own. Just to play devil's advocate, you know, Canberra's at home and then a Broncos away game. They're not super, super easy games. So you could make an argument that you want to maybe wait rounds one and two. Maybe he drops in price. But the thing is, is that something to remember is that price changes only happen after they've played the third game. So he may drop, let's say, I don't know, let's say he drops 50k. He's still going to be like 670, 680,000 before you actually want to get him in round three. So yes, you might save yourself 50,000, but equally, you know, Raiders at home and Broncos, he could go 70, 70 and maybe doesn't change that much in price. So personally, I wouldn't do the wait and watch strategy with someone like Val Holmes. I think if you want him, I would just start with him, knowing that he's a good long-term hold pretty much until the origin period at that point you know he's probably going to be you know playing for Queensland and then maybe you can sell but really like Val Holmes to start the season the next three guys haven't really featured in my mind too much in terms of a gun that I actually want to go for at the start of the season Alex Johnston Taylor May and Campbell Graham so maybe I'll start with the Rabbitohs guys so Campbell Graham and, uh, and Alex Johnston you know Graham is really going to be your rock solid guy you know 53% of the time he scored over 60 if you look at those stats below me he had a base average of 37 which is actually I think higher than almost every other center wing. I think To'o maybe is the only one closer to him. I think To'o had a 36 base average, but 37 from Campbell Graham. He's never going to give you a bad score. He just didn't quite have the upside though. You know, only 6% of the time that he was playing, he scored over 100. And I think when you look at the, the Rabbitohs draw, you know, Sharks, Penrith, Roosters, Manly, Melbourne in the first five weeks, I think there's enough going against him in terms of he's not going to be someone who's going to hurt you. Very low owned. And to, to, to be honest, I don't think he's going to be someone I would probably recommend. Like, honestly, I think if you're going to pay up for a Rabbitohs center, I would just actually go with Johnston. I know it sounds counterintuitive because AJ's base is not great. You know, only 19 points a game he averaged. But he actually had some quite interesting numbers against both bottom eight and top eight sides from last season. Overall, he was actually quite consistent. He had a 67 average against last year's top eight and a 68 and a half average against the bottom eight. So it really didn't deviate. 
a lot of that is probably due to Latrell at the back end of last season just putting tries on a plate for Alex Johnston, but we know that that's how the Rabbitohs like to attack. And I think he's proven over the last couple of seasons that despite the low base, he just scores enough tries to be able to get to that kind of mid-60s average. You know, if you look at that table below me, his average of 21 points a game and scoring is only behind Val Holmes. And that's not even due to any goal kicking. That's purely just the tries. So I think it kind of comes down to, do you think the Rabbitohs, again, are going to be a good attacking outfit? I personally do think that they will. So I don't mind going with Johnston. But again, there's probably enough going against him in terms of that draw. I would just spend the extra 10000 and go for Val Holmes. And Taylor May, obviously, just to remind people, he's going to be suspended for the first two weeks of the season, and then you're going into a bye in round three. So really, I don't think we need to discuss Taylor May too much. I wouldn't be starting with him at all um, for the beginning of the year. There's too much money, I think, just resting on your bench. And Nick Meany, let's discuss Nick Meany. I know there was a lot of questions about him. I want to reference again MySpace Legends questions, which was, is he one of the safer picks until Pappenhausen is back? Quickly on Pappenhausen's return, we just don't quite know what the return date is, but I'd be extremely surprised if he started the season um, and honestly my feeling is that it might not be until round five six there's no merit or evidence I guess behind that um, that's just my feeling based on how his rehab is tracking so I think Nick Meany is going to be safe and I do like the Melbourne Storm draw you know Parramatta away is obviously tough in round one but then you've got the Bulldogs Titans and West Tigers Rabbitohs away and then the Roosters so it's a bit of a mixed bag but that round two to four stretch is quite good for the Storm. The way I view Nick Meany is that he is basically as MySpace legend said um, I just love saying that name by the way um, he's a very very safe pick with a good floor so his average against the top eight last season uh, was 57 um, and against the bottom eight was 66 and if you actually look at his games where he was playing at fullback which is what I expect him to be doing I don't think that they're going to have Munster at fullback the games he was playing at fullback, he averaged 67. So mid-60s average, I think, is a pretty realistic expectation, which is obviously going to give you, you know, five, six points of value. And, you know, the fact that he's goal-kicking as well does mean he's got a bit of a ceiling. Oddly enough, though, even when he was goal-kicking, didn't quite see a ceiling from Nick Meany. 64% of the time, he scored over 60, but of that, only 5%, he actually cracked the 100 mark. So I think you'd, you'd say, basically, looking at those numbers, that two out of three games, he's going to get you over 60 but the chances of him going kind of 80 plus is low. So I think if you're looking for a nice plug and play, very safe option, I think Meany does qualify and meet that. I just find it difficult to start with him when I know someone like Brian To'o is cheaper and probably equally safe and probably has that higher ceiling. That's the reason why I personally don't think I'm going to be starting with Meany because I just think there's an alternative which I view as equally safe but with a higher ceiling. But I don't mind Nick Meany. He is dual. I think he gets fullback and center wing eligibility. So if you think Melbourne are going to come out of the gates really strong, maybe there's an argument to start with Meany. I think he's going to be really solid for you. Just don't quite know if he's going to give you those kind of big 80, 90 plus scores that you might want at the start of the season. So personally, I'm not going for him, but I do think he overall is a solid option. And finally, looking at the last two, Mulatalo and Talakai, not really heavily owned. You know, 2% of people own Mulatalo, only 1% Talakai. I mean, Talakai obviously was a little bit notorious because he had those massive games against Manly at the beginning of last season. Everyone jumped on him. And thereafter, he basically did nothing in terms of ever getting to the 100 plus point scores. So really, his, his numbers in terms of those over 100 games were skewed towards the beginning of the season. And I think too many people are probably just burnt by that thing with Talakai is that he's going to be really safe for you. you know like a base average of 34 is extremely high and I think for me personally I do see that he will improve this year now that he's had a kind of full season playing in that center spot and I do think that the Sharks are going to have another good season the draw is probably not great for the first couple of rounds you know Rabbitohs at home and then Parramatta away 
It does open up for sure in round four and five when he's got the Dragons away and then uh, the New Zealand Warriors. But even in easy games last season, we were seeing him just kind of score around the 55 to 60 and really wasn't doing much else. So personally, I think I'm happy to avoid at this point, see how the Sharks are going. And look, if he goes back to being that massive explosive uh, beast that we saw at the beginning of the season, then look, I'll, I'll pick him up at that point. Uh, but I don't think I'll be starting with him. And similar with Mulatalo, again, I, I view someone like Mulatalo as probably too expensive for what I think he can uh, deliver, at least for the start of the year. And I think Brian Toto for a much cheaper price is probably a safer bet. And instead of Mulatalo for 3K more, I'd probably even go someone like a Nick Meany. Given that he's got that consistency, you know, compared to Mulatalo, only 41% of the time did he actually score over 60. Uh, so if me personally, not really looking at Mulatalo and Talakai, but definitely going to be in my thoughts as we move through the season. Now, moving on to part two of the center wing guns, starting off with Zach Lomax, very, very low owned, 1.1%. And a lot of that is due to the Dragons having the buy in round one. But funnily enough, the Dragons draw after that is actually pretty good. Titans, Broncos, Sharks at home, then the Dolphins, and then the Titans. So I understand why people aren't starting with him just because of that round one buy. You know, it's a pretty expensive player to be leaving on your bench for the first week. I do think Lomax will be more of a factor, I think, this season. Like, I think it's very easy to say that Lomax had a pretty poor season by his standards, you know, there was talk of him a couple of seasons ago being a state of origin bolter. Just didn't quite happen for him last season, but he still managed to average 60 in a pretty poor dragon side. That's obviously due to the goal kicking. It really does help him out, just boosting his total scores, but a pretty healthy base average as well of 32. Oddly enough, though, no games he scored over 100 last season. I do think that that will change. So he's one of those guys who I think wouldn't pick him in round one just for that round one buy. But he's definitely someone I'm very interested in because despite the Dragons problems, he's always someone who seems to score fairly well for Supercoach. So overall, I would just like to see maybe a little bit more upside and a bit more ceiling with Lomax. He's very consistent. You know, 46% of the times he was scoring over 60, uh, but definitely not one I would be starting with. I've got similar feelings with Sione Katoa that I, that I did with Talakai and Mulatalo, so I won't go into him too much. Um, Stephen Crichton and Isaac Dongo, I'll kind of group them together. Again, there were good options, I think, last season. You know, both averaging close to 60. Dongo especially was a very good cheapie for us, but they're very low owned, you know, 2.5%, 2.2%. They just didn't quite have the ceiling that I think I'd be looking for if I'm starting to spend, you know, 600 plus thousand on a center wing. You know, someone like Val Holmes, granted, he's over, he's like 100,000 more expensive than these guys, but, you know, he showed that ceiling last season. Um, and someone like Brian Toto, I may as well just talk, talk about all the Panthers guys together. You know, if you compare Brian Toto to them, now his sample size was obviously a lot less than those two, but 20% of the games he played, he scored over 100, and he's almost 20% owned as well. For me, Toto, we just know that, look, 2021, he averaged 84. I don't think he's going to get back to an 84 average because that season was just a bit of an outlier. But he averaged 59.3 last season. I think at 624k, you're picking up a guy who I think very comfortably can average 65, if not better, this season. You know, the base stats are incredible. If you look at that table below me, a base average of 36 is ridiculous. We know that he's a little pocket rocket. He always gets those tackle breaks. He's going to be someone who I think will get you at least 50 in any given week. Looking at his numbers as well from his 80-minute games that he played last season, his total average was 63 in those games. So you're already looking at someone who's four points above what their price tag. Um, granted, it was a small sample size, but if you look at his average against the bottom eight from last season, it was 92, and it was 50 against the top eight. I think the question with Toto is more just about will he get those attacking stats along with his base to get him back to that kind of 70-plus averaging center wing. You know, there's going to be a lot of talk that now with Kikau out of the Panthers side, you know, the Panthers will need to rely a bit more on Luai and Nathan Cleary. If Nathan Cleary commands more of the ball, maybe that ball is going to get head down to the right side a bit more and get to Toto. Uh, so... 
I would like to think in terms of confirmation bias that Toto is going to get more ball. Like there were three games last season where Toto scored a double. And so you're looking at three games out of the 13 where he scored at least two tries. And so I kind of feel like there was like there's, the Panthers are just that good that I think that he's going to be able to score those tries. More or less is what I'm feeling. And I think when you're getting him cheaper than Dungo and Crichton, granted not by a lot, but I think knowing what a proven gun he is and with those good base stats, I'm finding it very difficult to not start with Brian To'o. If you're talking about which one of the two of out of Val Holmes and Brian To'o would you have to cut, that is a very, very difficult question and one that I've had to battle with. I personally think I would prefer to start with Val Holmes over Brian To'o. And I think that's just because the potential of a ceiling is much more. The question is then obviously Val Holmes is 100k more expensive. So if you're starting with Val, it makes it much harder to start with someone like a Nico Hines. Like for example, if you ran with Brian To'o instead of uh, Val Holmes, that's the difference between say having to Harry Grant or Nico Hines, if that makes sense. So personally, I think I'd prefer to have Val Holmes. Currently, I've actually got Val Holmes and To'o as my two center wings. And so to answer that earlier question about, you know, which two center wing guns would you have, it would be Holmes and To'o. Obviously, I'm a little bit biased by that because I currently own the two, but I think there's enough reasons for both of them, you know, both the good draw, former gun who's probably underpriced. Those are the kind of two reasons why I do want to start ideally with someone like Val Holmes and Brian To'o. But I think, let's say, for example, if we got enough good cheapies in center wing and I had to sacrifice one, we'd probably try to keep Val instead of Brian To'o. But, you know, just because of the money situation, there'd probably be a good chance that I would just keep Brian To'o and take that 100k saving. And instead, I might look to another way to get some kind of Cowboys attacking player to kind of, you know, capitalize on that draw. But overall, yes, I do think Brian To'o is a fantastic option. And I do think that that 20% ownership is valid and for a good reason as well. Jesse Ramian, again, I kind of view him similar to a lot of those other Sharks players, a very solid option. We'll probably give you like 55 a week because he's got pretty good, you know, base stats of 29 plus good tackle breaking ability as well. Did show a bit of a ceiling, 10% of games he scored over 100, but 0.6% ownership obviously is going to be a very big pod. But just don't see the Sharks draw being, you know, good enough to justify starting with a Ramian when you could very easily start with Brian Toto instead. But Daniel Tupo, definitely want to talk about him as well because a few people are interested in Tupo. 2.1% ownership at the time that I pull these numbers, but you know I think in the actual SC community, he's probably a lot higher owned or people always like to look at him um, as a pod. Now, he did have a bit of an injury affected uh, 2022, but we just know with Tupo that he's just a, a super solid uh, consistent guy and he's never really going to give you those bad scores like his average last season against the top eight was 56 and his average against the bottom eight was 60 so there's really not that much of a difference with Tupo in terms of looking to target him with a good draw because he's got a pretty decent base stats of 28 and we know that the Roosters are a good team who can score points even against tough opposition it just means that he's overall going to be a solid option so there were two games as well where Tupo scored over 100 funnily enough it was against the Sharks and also against the West Tigers so again that probably kind of shows you that he can score well against any opposition. At the moment, I don't have Tupo in my side because I've already got Tedesco, Brandon Smith. I'm just conscious of not wanting to overload too much on players who've got the early buy. So say the Roosters, for example, especially if I'm also looking to run with someone like a Brian Toto. So Tupo hasn't quite made my side at this stage because I just don't think that he's going to be... He's not someone that you can easily target, I think, and say Dolphins and Warriors Tupo's guaranteed to get me like 90 plus. I just don't think it will go down quite like that because the Roosters have just got so many ways that they can score points. It might not go to Tupo. 
Um, I do prefer Tupo to Joseph Suwali'i, who we'll touch on a little bit later, mainly because Tupo is a winger, and I do think that the wingers overall are just better to target compared to, say, the centers. Uh, you know, a lot of those sweet players will finish with Tupo instead of Suwali'i ending the attacking play. So for, so if you're looking at a Tupo versus Suwali'i comparison, do prefer Tupo. He's, you know, he's probably got a higher floor than uh, Suwali'i. But for example, that question, which was, you know, comparing Nick Meany versus Brian To'o versus Daniel Tupo, I definitely still rank Brian To'o above Tupo. You know, you're not paying that much more, 20000 and I think you're just playing for an overall better team, um, a better supercoach asset, in my opinion, as well, higher base stats, and probably a higher ceiling as well in Brian To'o compared to Tupo. Tupo's a good pod option. You know, him and Nick Meany, I think I view them very similar. I'd probably edge it with Nick Meany just because I think that the Melbourne Storm draw is a bit better than the Roosters and Nick Meany's goal kicking. So, you know, if I was to rank those three as per that question, it would probably be Brian To'o, Nick Meany, and uh, Daniel Tupo. Finally, looking at uh, David Nofaluma, obviously a former gun, pretty good draw for the first three weeks of the year. But one thing we've seen with Nofaluma is that the base stats have kind of reduced over the last few seasons. We we always thought of Nofaluma as this monster in terms of the base stats and the tackle breaks. And unfortunately, it's just started to slip in the last few seasons. Uh, looking back at the last three seasons, Nofaluma's base stats have gone down from 31 to 26 to 24 in 2022. And I don't expect it to change too much if that, it may just go down again to say like 22 or 23. And then all of a sudden you're having to really start relying on those attacking stats. You know, someone like a Dewey is okay because he's goal kicking. You know, Tigers are obviously going to be probably probably going to be an improved side. I kind of want to see it first, I guess, before looking at someone like Nofaluma, especially when I'm looking at spending over 600k. You know, I'd probably rank Tupo above him, Nick Mini, Brian To'o. I think there's a, there's a lot of other good options around his price tag, if not even cheaper, um, who I'd probably prefer to Nofaluma, who, you know, yes, he's a former proven gun, but coming back to the West Tigers, how is he going to go? Don't quite know. There's a little rhyme for you. Uh, so personally, not looking at side with Nofaluma either. Now, taking a look at the mid-range slash value options. So there's a few guys here who, you know, I can very f- quickly dismiss, I think. Uh, but there's a few guys here as well who I think very interesting options. Overall, apart from Joseph Suwali'i, these guys are all basically pods. You know, the highest ownership guy here is Lockie Miller at 7%. Apart from Suwali'i, everyone else is like sub 4 5%. So you really are getting a pod. And, you know, if you go for someone in this kind of price category, you are taking a bit of a punt in overall, is my opinion. Um, so it's one of those positions where I think if you've done enough research or if you like the draw enough or the player, there is scope for you to be able to actually, you know, capitalize early on with the pod. Uh, but overall, my feeling with a lot of these guys is that I'm personally not looking to go there, but we'll talk about them anyway. I feel like I can dismiss Tessie New fairly quickly. He had an okay season for the Broncos supercoach-wise, but moving to the Dolphins now, we expect him to be playing in the centers. Just with the Dolphins, we just don't know how well they're going to go, so I find it very easy to just not go with, with Tessie New. Um, Corey Oates, um, I know there was a question about Corey Oates as well on Twitter from, uh, I think it was Matthew Broom, shout out to you. So he gave me a pretty good breakdown of Corey Oates, which I'll just quickly read out for you. Um, so the Broncos do have a pretty solid draw after round two, where seven of their next nine games are at Suncorp. So there's a lot of home games for the Broncos. Um, 60 average he had before the Broncos fell off a cliff last year. Can he start 60-65% to 65% with that starting draw at home? Just to quickly touch on that draw as well for the Broncos, yes, round one and two, Penrith, and then the Cowboys are tough. But after that, he goes into the the Dragons, Dolphins, West Tigers, and the Canberra Raiders. And then even looking at the game after that, it's the Gold Coast Titans. So you're looking at a pretty good extended run for the Broncos. Um, Now with Corey Oatsy, yes, he had a good season, but when you're paying close to 600K, 
I don't expect him to be someone who's going to get you more than, say, 75, 80. And I think you'll need to score two tries to get to, say, 80 points. Like, if I look at a couple of the games where he scored two tries, he had scored a 79. Granted, that's pretty decent. 63, 70, 99, which is good. Um, 94. And then he also had a game where he scored a hat-trick and scored 102. So, overall, I'm looking at a game where he scores two tries and he gets around maybe 70, 75 points. You know, the base stats are okay, but... I just don't feel like he's got that ceiling that I would love. Like, he needs a hat-trick to get to 100. If I compare that to someone like Brian To'o, I know I keep referencing him, but Brian To'o can score a double and get you 100 points because his base outs are ridiculous. He can give you a base of 50. He, we've seen that in the past from him. And I think when you're spending only 30k more from someone like Corey Oates and you can get that much higher of a quality of a player in To'o, in my opinion, it makes it difficult for me to go with someone like Corey Oates. Now, I know he absolutely punished me last season, but if I wanted someone to capitalize for that Broncos draw, unfortunately, I hate to admit it, it would have to be Katoni Staggs or Selwyn Cobbo, in my opinion. Because for me, they just have that bigger ceiling, and they're all similar, if not a bit cheaper, than Corey Oates. So I think it's fine to go for one of those Broncos options. You know, I've got Herbie Farnworth on this list here. Um, he was actually really good as well at the beginning of last season, fairly consistent. 50% of the time, he was also scoring over 60 but again, very limited in terms of the uh, percentage of games that he scored over 100. If you look at Cobo, 10k cheaper, 11% of the time he scored over 100. Now, obviously, Cobo is more prone to give you those kind of junk 15, 20 point scores. But I think if you're looking at a draw like this, you know, for me, if you're looking at this kind of category of players who are pods um, and a bit more punty, I would just try to chase a guy who's got the ceiling. I don't think Corey Oates will kind of have enough of a return on your punt investment. Uh, to make it worthwhile if that makes any sense at all let me know in the comments below but if you kind of get what I mean if you want to go for the pod with it, I think go for the pod with the ceiling and for me that's someone like a, a Kobo maybe it's a Suali'i granted he's not a pod but I personally am not just not too hot on Corey Oates or Farnworth from the Broncos specifically because I agree they have a very good draw I would just prefer Stags or Kobo which look pains me to say it because both of them burnt me so bad last season Quickly working our way through the rest of the list, uh, Lockie Miller, he's moved to the Newcastle Knights, who've got a fantastic opening draw as well. We expect uh, Miller to be playing at fullback, but I'm personally not looking at starting with Miller. Main reason for that is just due to, you know, it's a fairly new spine for the Knights. We're expecting the spine to be uh, Jaden Braley, uh, Jackson Hastings, Kalen Ponga, and Lockie Miller. You know, Miller and Hastings haven't played in this Newcastle uh, system or spine before, and again, I kind of want to see it with the Knights as well. I know they've got a pretty good draw. Their first two games are away though. So I feel like while they're good, you know, their first game of the season is going to be away in New Zealand. You'd expect the atmosphere to be insane. Um, West Tigers away, you know, the Tigers will have another, will have a second home game. If they've done really well the first game, that atmosphere could be big as well. And so round three is kind of where I think, okay, you've got Dolphins at home. If you see he does well in the first two weeks, then maybe you can take a chance on him because after that, the games are okay. You know, Raiders, Manly, uh, Warriors again, they're fine matchups. So I think there's enough grounds for me to say wait and watch on Lockie Miller. Uh, Joseph Suli'i, I'll quickly touch on him as well. He was really good in patches as a supercoach option last season. 11% of the times he had games scoring over 100. But as I mentioned, I do prefer someone like a Dan Tupo just for that kind of consistency and safety in scores. The odd thing with Suli'i is that even in games where the Roosters pile on the points, he didn't always kind of get amongst it supercoach-wise. You know, I'm looking at that game where the Roosters scored, I think, like 70-something points against the Tigers, and he scored 36 points. 
And while I know that's only like a one game example, it kind of to me shows how the points can just be so spread against Roosters. So I think if you're looking for that kind of Tupo Suwali'i price tag in the Roosters, I'd rather just go with Tupo because I know he's a bit safer uh, for his points. And Gagai, similar thing with Lockie Miller where I think, you know, obviously the draw is very good, but I kind of just want to see it first. Um, You know, the base is really good with Gagai, so he's probably going to give you pretty solid mid-50 scores. And Aitken, I don't think is really an option. I know the stats below me look really good because you see 47 base at average, but that was when he was playing in the second row forward. He's probably going to be playing in the centers for the Dolphins. So I think overall that's a regression in my opinion. So I can't advise Aitken to be someone that you start with. And Greg Marzu, look, he's moved to the Knights, but it's a similar thing, I think, with Gagai and Lockie Miller. I'd probably go with Marzu over Gagai for what it's worth. I think, you know, Marzu's more likely to give you those kind of... He's just more fun to own. I think he's a tackle-breaking machine. If you look at his averages, 19 points a game, he was averaging invasive numbers. You know, compare that to a Gagai, which was 16. Not too different, but Marzu's just a more fun player to own and watch. So I think I'll just go with Marzu if he does get one of the starting wing spots for the Knights. And just before I move on to the next slide, I did actually want to mention something real quick with Cobo, which was um, obviously he did pick up quite a few severe concussions at the back end of last season, which really did hamper his season. But I think if you're willing to kind of not overlook that, but I think if you're willing to take that into consideration, I don't mind Cobo as that kind of upside punt because we saw in the um, Indigenous All-Stars game, he scored a hat-trick after a pretty poor first half where he knocked on the ball a few times. He goes on and scores a hat-trick. So I think word of caution, if you're picking Cobo, just prepare to ride the roller coaster. That's all I'm going to say. But if, you, if you're in for the thrills, I don't mind Cobo for that ceiling. Now, moving on to the second batch of the mid-range slash value center wing options, I may as well just talk about the elephant in the room. Katoni Staggs, my oh my. I started with that guy at the beginning of last season. I think it was four games in a row. He scored sub 40. And I thought, I've had enough of that. He was running into two tough games. And then what does he do? 100 plus, 100 plus, just to spit it in my face. And so Staggs has burnt me pretty bad last season. But the thing was, is that I'm always open-minded. I'm always willing to give people a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance. So Staggs hasn't yet entered any of my preseason teams, but I won't be surprised if he features at least once because he's just got that game that we know he can deliver those big, big scores. 511k is a really cheap price and we actually know at the back end of last season he was battling um, some injuries I think he was playing through a shoulder issue late in 2022 and he's had some quotes um, in the preseason well that he's fit he's ready to go everything you want to hear to fall back into the stags trap if you want to call it that just also wanted to quickly quote enteral physio's fantastic injury profiles one thing he did break down as well that pre-injury katoni stag's super coach average was 53 and post-injury it was 44 so even just on that basis if you're getting a fit and firing katoni stags you'd expect at least a five point improvement on his average again i want to wait and watch i want to see him being involved because the biggest thing for me last season was that when he was uninvolved he wasn't injecting himself in the game he just was getting like 25, 30 points. You know, he was getting basically his base stats and that was it, nothing else. And it was just extremely frustrating. I think there's enough difficulty in the first two games that I want to wait and see. And then hopefully maybe we can pick him up in round three, four, if things do look like they're improving for Stags. I think Tamara Martin also was good for the Broncos, but I don't think it helped Stags. I think it improved Cobo. And so with Tamara Martin now moving to the Warriors, Maybe there's a chance that Staggs outperforms Cobo this this season, at least for the first half of the season, maybe. So we know he's got that ceiling. 13% of the times he's scored over 100, but I'm not looking to start with him because he can be very inconsistent and it can be painful. 
but I do hope that he does improve this season because he is a fun, fun player, an electric player as well to watch and to own. I'm just not going to advise to do it from the beginning of the season. Now, starting away again from the from the top of the list as we normally do, Maui Taolangi, um, there was also a question about him again from Matthew Broom. So his question was, is Taolangi a genuine option to start with or is it too risky? He's a cheaper way to get into that Cowboys draw instead of trying to pay up for Val Holmes. I think it's definitely valid. You know, as I mentioned, Cowboys draw is fantastic. You know, he's about 150k cheaper than Val Fairly consistent, actually. 48% of the times he scored over 60. The downside, though, was that there were no games where he scored over 100. So really didn't show that ceiling, I think, from last season. Funnily enough, though, as well, draw didn't seem to really affect him in terms of his uh, supercoach point scoring. So his average against the top eight side last year was 52, and it was 57 against the bottom eight. So there really wasn't too much of a difference. He is reliant on the tries. You know, the base out average of 25 isn't fantastic. So, you know, it was a scoring average of 11, you know, compared to a few of these other players is quite solid. He really needs to rely on those tries. And so personally for me, I do feel like it is a, maybe a risk too far just because there are those easy gains, but he still may not give you those big scores. Whereas someone like Val Holmes, he's a bit more protected in the sense that he goal kicks. So I know that there's a big price difference, but I still personally feel like I would pay up for Val Holmes because looking at Taolongi's average from last season, it doesn't seem to suggest that those easy games are bankers for him to actually get those big scores. It seems as though he scores more or less the same against any opposition. So I think you don't want to get punished, I think, too hard, at least for the beginning of the season. I think, you know, he's at a price tag where it's not expensive enough that it's too difficult to get to him. So I think, you know, you can see how it goes for round one and two. Start with Val. And if, let's say if you've got Val and Toto, something happens with Toto, or, you know, say the buy period comes in round four and you're thinking, I don't actually want to stick with Toto anymore, maybe you can switch to Taolongi at that stage. So I wouldn't start with him personally, just for those few reasons. Jack Bird, I won't really consider too much, again, because of that buy in round one. I think if you are going to go for a Dragon Center, I'd probably just go with, uh, with, with Zach Lomax, but probably not enough there numbers-wise and um, even just team-wise for me to consider someone like Jack Bird. I've got Dom Young on this list here. Again, it kind of comes down to the Newcastle Knights and how they perform. So maybe if you're a massive Knights fan and you want to take a punt, you could go with someone like a Dom Young. But you know, Justin Ollum always has a period where he goes three or four games where he scores a few tries and does really well. But historically, he's kind of a guy who just hangs around that 50 average. You now, looking at the last four seasons, his averages are 50, 45, 56, and 51. So again, I don't really think that there's going to be too much upside in him in terms of a value perspective. The draw is good, but realistically, I just don't think I can re recommend Olam. If you are looking for a Melbourne uh, center winger, someone like a Coates or a Remus Smith is probably a better option. I know Coates obviously had a few injury issues at the back end of last season, but there was a period at the first half where he was really good for Supercoach because Melbourne just came out of the gates just smashing teams. Coates was scoring like three, four tries a game, I think, at one point. He is very try-reliant. If you look at the stats below me, a base average of 18 is obviously very low, but he was averaging 14 points a game in scoring purely just from the tries. I do like that he's a winger. He's got that ceiling. 13% of the games he played, he scored over 100. Just letting you know, though, if you do go with Coates, you're in for a roller coaster. Just looking at the games between round 4 and round 12 of last season. 87, 15, 18, 123, 116, 31, 8, 16, 36. Absolute roller coaster. Hopefully, my facial expressions also showed you how I react to those kind of scores. So, I think if you want to go for a bit of a punt with the ceiling, with the knowledge that you've got Bulldogs, Titans, and West Tigers, it may be worthwhile. I personally don't think I've got the stomach for it. Uh, but look, if you're looking for a kind of genuine mid ranger, 466k. 
I think I'd rather go with Coates than probably any of the guys on this list apart from Stags and Taolangi is obviously a little bit more expensive. I think if you're looking around that 400k range, Coates is probably who I'd go for. Um, and Adokar and Bradman Best, you know, Bradman Best has got too many injury issues where I think it's just too much of a risk to start with him. And Adokar, the, the, the Bulldogs draw is okay, you know, Manly, Melbourne are tough, but then West Tigers and Warriors is okay. Then you've got Cowboys and Rabbitohs, so it's, again, a bit of a mixed bag. Adokar stats also, again, don't really translate to the draw. 56 average against top eight, 49 average against the bottom eight. But for me, he's just, again, too tri-reliant. He's going to give you too many of those stinker scores. So I think I'd rather, you know, he's a similar vein to Xavier Coates. So I'd rather just go with Coates, to be honest, and, and save yourself, like, you know, 90,000 bucks instead. And I think Melbourne do have a better draw as well than the Bulldogs. Now, finally, taking a look at some of the cheapy options that we can consider in our center wing. So obviously, you're seeing here that a lot of these guys are higher owned. I will also just preface that we still don't know a lot about the cheapy scene. There's a lot still to play out in terms of trials. We have started to see a few trial games as well. You know, someone like a Tommy Talao, if we just want to speak about him very quickly. It was his first game in a while playing for the Tigers. And to be honest, he didn't look great. The numbers from Supercoach standpoint that I put here are from 2021, where he did play more or less a full season, and they're pretty encouraging. You know, a 41 average for a guy at 301k, you are getting value out of that. For example, if we expect that he's going to be named in the starting centers for the Tigers, I don't mind him because he has shown in the past to have um, pretty good Supercoach output, and I do like the West Tigers draw as well. It's pretty good. Um, so Tommy Talao, I don't mind, despite the poor performance in the trials, if he is available in round one. 300k I do view as low risk. I do think he's also a better option than Charlie Staines, for example. Don't It's kind of a weird one with Charlie Staines. There's been a bit of chat that he may play at fullback. He played at fullback in the West Tigers' first trial. If he's named at fullback in round one, he may interest me. You know, he does look overall a bit more comfortable at fullback. Granted, he only played one game at fullback last season for the Panthers. He scored 52 points and he had base stats of uh, 30, which is obviously a lot higher than what he kind of gets you playing on the wing so I don't mind him if he's um, starting at fullback for the Tigers but personally I'd rather just stick instead with someone like a Hayes Perham so the Perham's performance in the Maori Indigenous game I thought it was a little bit mixed if I'll be honest like I think he had some good moments you know showed his footwork um, but there were times where I thought maybe he was slightly out of position as well in defending now he is touted to start as the fullback for the for the Bulldogs and so I think 370k, you're getting a slight price saving as well to Charlie Staines. His actual numbers aren't fantastic in terms of Supercoach points. So if you look at those numbers below me, those are what he got in 80-minute games where he was playing on the wing, um, which was for the Eels, I believe, last season. So, so you know, a base at average of 20, if you expect him to be playing at fullback, it's probably going to bump up to about 25. And you expect him to also be a little bit more involved in the attacking. You know, scoring may also be uh, be up as well. I personally don't think that Perham is a bad option, I think, to start with. You know, you know the Bulldogs draw is up and down at the moment in my current squad I don't own Matt Burton so part of me is also thinking can I hedge myself slightly with if I don't go with Matt Burton at least maybe have one Bulldogs attacking player just in case the Bulldogs start extremely hot and I just don't completely miss out it's not maybe not maybe not the best logic but for that reason I do have currently Hayes Perham in my team definitely think he's a better prospect as well than than Charlie Sands but obviously there's still some risk to Perrin where he's playing in a relatively new position I will also put a link though below in the description to an article that was I think done by Jason Oliver if I'm not mistaken he kind of broke down the play style of Hayes Perham and he was very very positive about how he has played at fullback and it gave me enough confirmation bias to keep Perham so I'll leave a link for that in the description below definitely check it out as well if you want to dig a little bit deeper into Hayes Perham but it was pretty good reading. Uh, it was a great article, and it did definitely gave me some encouragement as well to, to start with Perham. 
Now, Isaac Thompson, 336K, probably play round one for the Rabbitohs on the right wing. The risk with uh, Isaac Thompson, though, is in round two, Tane Milne will be back from suspension. It's a bit of injury news, though, with the Rabbitohs. Uh, Sevilla Havili has apparently picked up a pretty long-term injury and is expected to miss maybe the first half of the NRL season. Now, why that's important for Isaac Thompson is that Tane Milne is the main threat to him on the right wing. Tane Moon has played in the forwards for Fiji though, and um, if Havili is indeed out for a long period of time, maybe the Rabbitohs use Tane Moon as a middle forward rotation, similar to what Havili was uh, was doing. And so, you know, Havili was also playing that backup hooker role to Damien Cook. I think it's Pete Mamazelis uh, plays maybe backup hooker for the Rabbitohs. So if in round one we see Mamazelis is on the bench for the Rabbitohs, maybe that leaves the door open that Tane Milne would come in as a middle forward rotation. And that might mean that Isaac Thompson is then locked into his right wing spot. I know that there was a question about Isaac Thompson and is it a risk um, knowing that Tane Milne is returning. I'm more comfortable with Isaac Thompson, uh, you know, hearing the opinions of a few Rabbitohs fans as well. They do prefer Isaac Thompson as well to Tane Milne. So fingers crossed he keeps his spot because... Look, it's a very small sample size. He only played two games for the Rabbitohs last season, but in those two games, he averaged 64 points with a base set average of 28. To me, that's what's pretty encouraging because if we think that, you know, you look at the opposite wing, you've got Alex Johnston, Latrell Mitchell, they're not necessarily the biggest base set players. So, you know, kicking to corners, you'd expect maybe Isaac Thompson to get the bulk of the uh, of the of the kick returns. And so maybe the base stats will increase in that way. And obviously playing as a winger for the Rabbitohs, yes, the draw is tough, but the Rabbitohs are a good team. I don't expect them to be dropping off too much in terms of their attacking output. So I do like Isaac Thompson. I was surprised to see that only 13.5% of teams owned him. Um, maybe I've got that number wrong, but I do think that he will be a good option and I can re- recommend him. And I currently do own him as well in my squad. Now, a few other interesting options, uh, fullbacks who we can pick up in the center wings. Uh, the first one is Hamaso Tabuai Fado. So Hammer was actually in my initial pre-season draft squad. I've since taken him out just after looking at the numbers a little bit more. And I feel like he is potentially a player that we could um, antipod. So Hammer's numbers were a little bit skewed because he had a lot of games playing at fullback. But then he had a few games where he was playing as a utility for the Cowboys last season. So you know now he's moving to the Dolphins and we expect him to be the starting number one. Now just looking at some of his numbers where he was playing 80-minute um, games as the fullback for the Cowboys... So his total average is 43 with a uh, base at average of 21. So again, the base stats has never really been Hammer's you know, strong suit, I guess, from a super coach standpoint. Um, and those numbers actually, sorry, are represented in the table below me. So look, you, you may be looking at, say, 10 points of value with Hammer. The issue is, though, is that um, he's moved to the Dolphins now, who are obviously a very you know, risky team in the sense that we just don't quite know how they're going to perform from an attacking point of view. And so I do think that the hammer is a player that I can antipod. You know, three, 39.8% ownership is extremely high. I don't think he's going to be a player that hurts you either. You know, his highest score as a starting fullback for the Cowboys last season was 60. And that did include a try. So look, you're looking at 60 points. You know, the highest score he scored last season was 67 where he was playing in the centers. So I'm just not seeing big, big scores out of the hammer, which makes me think that I need to own him because of fear of, you know, him cracking like a massive ton, especially when he's moved to the Dolphins as well. So I'm actually personally leaning away from Hamaso uh, Tabuai Fado, um, just due to those risks in terms of his numbers. His base stats aren't too high, and he's now moved to a new team as well. Now, Charles Nicol Kluxard, he is currently still in my squad as well. I think he can just be like a real solid option. 
historically, super coach wise, I don't think he's really been someone who's got those big, big scores. You know, if I look at his average over the last previous three seasons before 2022, uh, 57 in 2019, 54 in 2020, 49 in 2021, and then 31 in 2022. Uh, looking at 80-minute games that Nico Kluxard played as a fullback last year, um, he had a total average of 41. So obviously looking at 10 points of value there, a base set average of 27. So obviously it's a little bit higher than someone like the Hammer. So I think you're more likely to get consistent scores and a slightly higher floor than I think than Hammer so. So I do prefer Nico Kluxard in that aspect of a, a fullback that we can pick up in the center wing. I do think that the Warriors are overall going to be an improved team as well. Like, you know, Newcastle at home is a pretty good first game. Roosters and Cowboys, granted, is tough, but then you've got Bulldogs, Sharks, and Newcastle, so it's a pretty up-and-down draw. But I think the fact that they can play more games at home is going to be a plus for them, and so I think I can see an overall improvement in the Warriors. Um, if he's still on Nickel Cook side, he's currently in my squad. You know, 327k, I think, just means that it's low risk um, for someone that we know can probably crack 45 to 50 points, so I do think that there's going to be some cash generation from him. I don't think he's a, a must by any chance, you know, but he is highly owned, 38.7%. So I think if you're in a 50-50 about whether to go with him or not, you can always take the view that you, you can just go along with the crowd knowing that you're not going to get punished if he does poor because most people are going to own him. Um, the issue is then you're going to be probably struggling to see where to go from him, but hopefully we find some cheapies at that point. So I think it's one that's, you know, he's not a slam dunk, but I think he's going to be a solid cash cow. So the next player on the list is Remus Smith coming in at 316k. I'm just... Again, I'm not really too enthused by Remus Smith. Just looking at his 80-minute games last season, so taking out his uh, his injury-affected game, uh, he had a total average of 37, base at average of 35, oh, sorry, 25, sorry, excuse me. And this is when Melbourne were putting on tons and tons of points. I think they're just more likely to hit their wingers. Um, you know, someone like Xavier Coast was profiting massively, Pappenhausen as well. I just don't see Remus Smith as being someone who's going to massively feature in terms of, you know, if Melbourne put on 50, 60 points, I don't think that's really going to benefit benefit him too much. You are getting him at slight unders, you know, an average of 30. He maybe could be a 35, 40 point guy, but I just don't see him historically being a fantastic super coach option. So I'm not really looking at Remus Smith to start with, nor am I looking at Terrell Sloan. I know he scored a try in the um, Indigenous Maori All-Stars game, 15.6% ownership as well, sub 300k. A buy in round one is not ideal. Does have a good draw though from round two onwards, so he he does have that in his favor. I just never love his stats though. Like he's just got no base stats really. You know, looking at his base stats average in 80 minute games last season, it was 19 points, which is kind of on the lower end. You know, and that is him playing at fullback as well, which is where you normally would hope that the base stats would increase. He really is reliant on those attacking stats like tries, so it really comes down to I guess the dragon's ability uh, to get those. And I think when you're Looking at a buy around one, I'm personally not looking at starting with him because, again, it's a similar thing where his price will change in three weeks. Yes, he's got the Titans, and then he's got the Broncos, and then the Sharks. There's enough difficulty in the Sharks and the Broncos game where I, th I think, look, let me see how he goes for the first three weeks once he starts playing. And then after that, Dolphins round five, if I think I need Terrell Sloan because he just looks completely different, I'll jump on him in round five uh, before maybe a cash price rise. Then he's got the Titans in round six, Amber round seven, Roosters round eight, Bulldogs round nine, West Tigers rounds 10. Like it's a pretty good draw thereafter. So again, he's someone I'm not looking to start with because I just want to see it first. And also the thing is, I think he played the first game last season for the Dragons. And then I think he was dropped after like, what, three weeks for Moses Mbaye. So there is a question of rotation risk around him as well. So that's why I'm not looking at starting with him. But he could be a good option with that draw. 
but those base stats don't encourage me, so I'm personally not looking at starting with uh, Terrell Sloan. Now, the next batch of cheapies. Again, a lot of these players, I think it just really comes down to do they get listed in round one? Quickly covering off a few, I do think are going to be pretty good. Um, so, Khan Pereira from the Gold Coast Titans, by all intentions, he's going to be one of the starting wingers. So, I think for a bottom dollar, if you can get a guy who's going to be playing, I think he should make some, some money. So, I think he's definitely worth owning. Um, I expect that 31.1% ownership to also increase um, if he does get named in the round one team list. Um, Tavare from the Dolphins, I don't think is going to get a run in the backline for the Dolphins. I expect the Dolphins' backline to form um, Edric Lee, Tessie New, Ewan Aitken, um, Hammer at the back, and maybe a Jermaine Asako. I just don't see uh, Tavare being in that round one team. So he's 20% owned, but I don't think he's going to be someone who features in round one. Um, Jamin Salmon was surprisingly 6.5% owned. I wouldn't really go there, to be honest. I think I expect him to continue coming off the bench for the Panthers. Um, Hayes Dunster, though, 21.5% owned. He's not quite bottom dollar. He's 234k. I don't really mind him, to be honest, as a uh, potential cheapie. Um, it really comes down to, though, who gets that right wing spot for the Parramatta Eels because um, you've got Bailey Simmonson coming back from an injury. Sean Russell could maybe take that right wing spot. Um, Mike Acevo is kind of locked in on that left wing spot. So still a bit of a question mark about Dunster. Um, but I think when he has played... He has been a pretty decent supercoach option in the past. You know, for example, those numbers that I've got below me are his 2021 numbers when he was playing more games. When I looked at his 80-minute games in 2021, it was an average of uh, 43. Now, I think, to be fair, 2021 was a bit of an outlier year. I'd probably knock back that average by 5, 10 points. So you're looking at someone who might average about 30, 35, but... I don't mind it so much because it's Parramatta. It's a good team that you're buying into. So I think if he's named round one, I probably will start with Dunster in my bench center wing. Now, someone else who's kind of cropped up in the last week or so is actually, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation. I'm sorry. Uh, Tuimalo Vallega, Raymond uh, Tuimalo Vallega from the Manly Sea Eagles. There's been some chat that Ruben Garrick is going to play at the centers. And um, and this guy, I'll just say this guy just so I don't butcher his uh, surname again, um, is going to be one of the starting wingers for Manly. Now, they've got the Bulldogs round one and a bye round two, but I think if you are getting a Manly City Eagles winger, you know, if Turbo's fit, you know, we see that that left winger, you know, Ruben Garrick for a couple of seasons has really profited. And so I do think that there is potentially a good reason to, uh, to go with uh, Tuimalo uh, in the event that he gets named in round one. I've had a couple of people message me saying that he's probably going to be there for round one. So I just wanted to put him in this list here just so that you are all aware of that and, um, you know, keep a lookout for him. Currently, he's 0.5% ownership. If indeed it does turn out that he is named in round one, I expect that to skyrocket. Again, someone who could be a good option as well, uh, given that he might benefit from playing outside of someone like Tom Trevojevic. Uh, Paul Alamotti, again, pretty up in the air if he's going to get a start for the Bulldogs. I hope he does. If he does, I think you should lock him into your team because for more reports, this guy is like a bit of a, a bit of a tank, kind of a tackle buster, which is what we like for Supercoach. Almost 40% ownership. I think that's just going to be a lot of fingers crossed that he does get the spot in round one. Uh, I think Avarillo is definitely locked into one of the center spots. It comes down to Braden Burns and Alamotti. There's also another guy, Skelton, from memory. So there's a few other candidates for that center spot for the Bulldogs. So we kind of just have to wait for trials and also for round one team lists. Um, same thing, I think, as well with Jack Howarth. He may get a bench spot for the, for the Storm. He's touted as a really gun prospect for them. So let's wait and see on that one as well. And Bailey Hodgson... Not expecting him to be with the Knights, given that 
you know, they've signed Lockie Miller now, and I think he's going to be their starting fullback. Right, guys, well, that is my comprehensive breakdown of the center wing position. I know this video is going to be going for quite long, but hopefully you will sit back and relax and enjoy it. If you do, really do appreciate a thumbs up. There was a lot of time and effort that went into this one. And do please consider subscribing as well if you did enjoy it. The next video will be on the fullbacks. So drop any questions below if you want to see any specific questions on the fullbacks. But I'll see you all in the next video.